Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. It's good to be worshipping the Lord. Um, I'm going to start off by reading uh, a passage that we're all pretty familiar with um, in Acts chapter 17. And it's the story of Paul before um, when he goes to speak at the Areopagus. And this is a sort of kickoff thing for what I want to say afterwards, but it, it's, uh, it gives us some context. Uh, Paul had been struggling with um, one or two places that he'd been to where he'd, he'd not been welcomed and, uh, and he'd landed up in Athens and um, he was waiting there for some of his, his co-workers to come. They were, they were cleaning up, as it were, finishing up where they'd been before and they were going to join him. So Paul was in Athens on his own, you might say kicking his heels. And it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. I'm going to skip the next little bit. And then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. So Paul was um, busy there in, in Athens addressing these people in the midst of a, we would say, a godless society, but in one sense they weren't because they were worshipping just about everything they could think of and they had this extra um, altar or whatever it was, shrine, just for anybody that they might have missed. And as Paul said, this is the God I'm going to declare to you. Now, I don't know, uh, I know we're not all the same. It's one of the things that I keep reminding myself, or God keeps reminding me, and every time I, I prepare a sermon, and this has been going on for years, I've, I've tried to say to myself, we're not all the same. But I wonder whether you struggle, as I have struggled, to understand where what we believe fits in in the context of everything else that we see around. Other religions, other types of Christianity... Um, fancy church buildings? And do you, do you in any way struggle to reconcile or to 
be able to pigeonhole those things. Because I do, and it troubles me, I'm, 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 I'm someone who thinks and I need answers, but if I'm going to explain the gospel to other people and I'm going to answer their questions, I need answers for that as well. Jean and I, a week ago, came back from uh, our holiday this year, which we took in Hungary, in the capital city, Budapest. And um, just a word of thanks to those who prayed, because Jean was quite poorly with her back pain before we went, and really appreciate prayer. Uh, God really met us, and we had a great time. And we we felt very privileged to be able to do that. Um, But while we were there, there were a number of things that um, struck us, perhaps a little bit like Paul in Athens. And uh, we went in, for instance, into one of the big Catholic churches um, in Budapest. And it was amazing. It was an amazing structure. And if you look at how these things are built and you think about how much work, how much money, how much passion went into building them, um, it makes you think about the contrast between that and this, where we are. We went into a, a Jewish synagogue, and it was nothing like the Catholic Church, but it was beautiful, and it was carefully done, and in actual fact, you know, we were going to get a building. If we could have moved into that synagogue, we'd have been really happy because it was really nice. You know, it had some stuff at the front, um, some religious stuff, but on the whole, it was, it, was, it was really nice. When we were out on the streets, and this is, this is Eastern Europe, this is, this is a long way away from us, not like it's here in one sense, but the Jehovah's Witnesses were out on the street. Um, I don't know whether they did door knocking, but they had sort of a stall. We came across them a couple of times, pumping out their ideas. Uh, there was even Harry Krishna out on the street trying to collect money. There was all this religious stuff going on. And it got me thinking, I think Jean as well, you know, about religion generally, because we need to have a perspective on it. There were a couple of other things. Uh, one of them was that so when we did the tour bus, one of the stories that was told, you know, you listen in, um, plug in, choose your language and listen in. And they, one of the things that was told on the tour bus was how Christianity came to Hungary, or what was Hungary in those days, that land. And um, apparently the first missionary who came to bring Christianity was rejected. And uh, the people of that, of that land... Um, put him in a barrel with snakes and threw him in the, um, the river, the Danube. And uh, now that might just seem like a nice story, but I thought, hang on a minute, my Bible says snakes won't hurt you. So that was a challenge to me, and I thought, who was this guy, you know, did snakes hurt him or did he drown? I'm happy with him drowning, but I'm not quite so comfortable <laughs> with the snakes hurting him. I thought the snakes were a bit, you know, fellow companions in his barrel. They were um, an unnecessary thing. The other thing was um, the television was supposed to have one channel, 
that sounded as though it was going to be in English, but it was all fuzzy and we couldn't watch it. Um, but fortunately, our son and daughter-in-law who live with us now have Netflix, and we are benefiting from that. And uh, I had put Netflix on my phone before we went, and we had brilliant Wi-Fi in the hotel. So each evening, we watched Netflix, and we watched a series that you may have seen or heard of called The Crown, which is all about Elizabeth and, um, and Philip and you know, how things worked out for them. It's a good story. But at the beginning of that, there is the, or early on in that series, there is her coronation. Now, I don't want to offend anybody, but I just looked at that and I thought, what they're doing in that coronation, how does that tally with my Bible and my walk with God and my faith? I can't, can't see it. And I think that there are all sorts of things that affect us and intimidate us if we're not careful. We had talked this morning, um, Jim mentioned, about the reality of our walk with God. And that's really where I'm coming from. We need to have a context in which we see all these other things and are able to understand them. And we need to remind ourselves that our walk with God is about a personal relationship where we know God and we know God speaking to us. It's not about all this, um, or someone used the term one time, Catholic bling, whatever you want to call it, all this stuff that can intimidate us. There was another, in fact, two other places that we went to that were very, very poignant. And you might think, what on earth are you doing going somewhere like that on your holidays? But the first day we were there, we went to the Terror House. Um, this is not like Madame Two Swords. That's, you know, this was about real terror that affected the people of Hungary and Budapest. It was about the um, persecution of the Jews during the Second World War by the Nazis. It was about the persecution of the people by the communists after the Second World War. And this terror house was the building that was used as the headquarters for uh, torture and intimidation of the people by the, um, the Nazi party of Hungary and then by the, um, the communists. And we were able to go into the cells where people were tortured. We were able to go into where the people were hung. And there were thousands of names and faces those people were intimidated. The nation was intimidated. And there are things that can intimidate us. We also went into the Holocaust Museum because there were an awful lot of Hungarian Jews and um, other people, Roma people, who were taken away and were, were murdered by, by the uh, Nazi regime. And when you're in a place like that, you can't help but think about how those people must have felt. There was a, a very um, clever illustration of what it was like in the uh, Terror Museum where they had this net curtain, a black net curtain, surrounding a black car. And you could just detect the car inside there, which was depicting the fact that people were living in fear 
and intimidation. And there could be a car parked round the corner in the dark of the night that's watching your house and that's watching you. So you can understand that we, all these things were whizzing around in our heads. Now, I've been giving quite a lot of thoughts over recent months as to the whole idea of religion and how Christian faith fits into that. And I believe it's important for us to have a perspective. And there are two things that we can easily say. One of those things is that other religions are bad. Or we can easily say other religions are good, they're fine, they're, they're, they're people trying to find God. But I think we need to have a, a Christian perspective and a biblical perspective. And uh, we know that in, in 1 Peter, um, we read that all, always be prepared to give an account to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Our reason stands in contrast to all that other stuff. Our reason is not something that we can say, well, this is another alternative, as the world often does. We talk to people who are not Christians, haven't perhaps got a Christian background. As far as they're concerned, we're just someone else peddling some religion. But our faith is not like that. And that's not the case because we say so. It's the case because it's a fact. It's the reality. But to to stand on that, we need to explain everything else. And I want to put some thoughts across to you. You may like them, you may not like them. But my first thought is that actually God is real. He made us. He made us to relate to him. So that means that every one of us, whether we are here today, um, whoever we are, whether we live in England or um, anywhere else, South America, wherever, Every one of us has been made to relate to God. And so it is not surprising that religion is a worldwide, universal thing that's been going on since time immemorial, since man first existed. Because man is made to relate to God. Obviously, we we believe and we know that uh, God made the first man, the first woman, and we have the story of how they uh, developed, that that, uh, family developed and became the people of Israel. And we have the story of how in the midst of that, Jesus came as a Jew, as one of the people of Israel, and brought salvation for all men. But it doesn't alter the fact that lots of people are still seeking for God elsewhere. And the other thing that has struck me is that God made um, something that I, I just am so grateful to him for. He made beauty. And if I need to give someone a, a, a evidence for, for God's existence, I think beauty is it. I think it's amazing that he made everything so beautiful He gave us the ability to appreciate that beauty and he gave us the ability to create beautiful things. 
And I think that's the, that another thing that God made us to be like. He made us to seek him and he made us to appreciate beauty. So it's not surprising that when anybody gets into any religion, that beauty becomes part of it. And so it's not surprising that we might see big religious structures, whether they be Christian or whether they be um, Islamic or whatever they are that are beautiful. That's not a contradiction. It's actually a natural thing. And I think that's, that's really what I'm saying. I think religion is natural, and I think the expression of that religion is natural. But it's not seeking, it's not actually seeking God, the God who is there. And we need to separate ourselves from the idea of, um, of religion and faith. But we need to understand what religion is. It's important that we have an answer. And we might say that uh, religion is demonic, you know, other than Christianity. And there's a sense in which that's true because anything that stands against God, anything that diverts people from God, is doing the work of the enemy. Um, and I think there's a truth in that, but I don't think that means everybody who, who is religious uh, is directly affected by a demon. I don't think that people who worship um, what they believe to be other gods or other regimes, religious regimes, are necessarily demonic. Clearly they can be. As Jim was saying earlier, we, we've seen evil on the streets of Manchester and in other places, even in this last week. And we might consider that those things are evil. And they, they, they are evil, depending on how you define evil. They might be demonic. But we, we need to live with the fact that there are other people in our society who worship other gods. There are Muslims in our society who may, um, may just be ordinary people, like most people who call themselves Christians. We've seen um, Islamic faith has its tensions, just like we've seen in Northern Ireland, between people who claim to be Christians and are not. So where I'm trying to get to is that religion is a reality that we need to be aware of and we need to have an understanding of what this is. Christian faith is something different. Christian faith is the worship of the one true God. So I had four groups um, that I, I've sort of characterized. Um, group one was other religions, and we've been talking about that. Group two, which are effectively the same thing, are pseudo-Christian cults, like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, people who claim they are Christian but don't hold to the basic tenets of what a Christian is or what Christianity is. And we've talked about those, but there are two other groups, and that is what I've called religious Christians and spirit-filled Christians. And what I want to say this morning is religious Christians are people who hold to um, the traditional accepted belief about Christianity, about who Jesus is, and through, about salvation but who have loads of other stuff bolted on. 
And spirit-led Christians are those who are listening to God and are wanting to hear God. And that's what we need to be. And I think, by and large, it's what we are. But we need to make sure that we are not adding to that religion. And it's something that is so easy for us to do. We can so easily have things in our lives that are religious. They might be practices, they might be, um, well, there's all sorts of things that they could be, that we hang on to. And so what I want to say is that we must not have salvation plus. We must not have faith plus or Jesus plus or Holy Spirit plus or the kingdom of God plus because that plus is death. That plus is taking away from what we really are as the people of God who worship God and know God. In Galatians 5.11, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. If we bolt on other things, then we're not actually worshipping God. We're we're diluting what we believe. In, In Paul's case, they're talking to the Jews who had circumcision. He was basically saying, if you're going to rely on that, you're not relying on Jesus. And if you're not relying on Jesus, you're in big trouble. And we need to make sure that our lives are divested of all things that are about religion. Now, I know that's, that's something a little bit difficult because I'm, I'm not going to give you lots of illustrations, but it, it is sort of beliefs that we can have. Um, it's things that we can have adding into our faith. Things that we can say, yes, but we also accept that, and we also accept that. All these also's, if they're not of the Spirit of God, then they are in the religious realm. Uh, I have a, um, a family, my, my father's family was very religious. And um, I had an aunt who was a nun. And they actually referred to uh, nuns as being religious. That's the term they use. I'm using it in a different way. I'm saying any practice, any belief, Uh, anything that we hang on to that is not of the Spirit of God. And we we can have those things. We can walk in those things. We can live in those things. We can say, yes, but I also, almost a bit like having superstitions. You know, I also chuck salt over my shoulder or read my horoscope or whatever. Um, We can have other things that are like that, that we hang on to and we believe in. And I think God wants us to let go of those things and to examine our own hearts and lives. So I want to ask you to think about what is in your religious past personally. And is there any of that that's hanging on, that's unhelpful to you, that's a hindrance to your walking with God? 
I want you to think about uh, religious legacy we might have from past generations. Now, I don't understand people in the past. I don't understand why they built great stone buildings. I don't understand why they did a lot of the things that they do. All I know is it doesn't relate to where I am and who I am and my relationship with God. And in a sense, it hinders it. It does for me anyway. I don't know if you're like me. And we need also to be free from the intimidation of religious institutions. As far as I'm concerned, it's only where the Spirit of God is that there is truth and there is light and there is life. Anywhere else, no matter what it calls itself, no matter what it purports to be, it's not actually of God. It's only where the Spirit of God is. And that's the challenge we have in our day-to-day lives, that we need to be saying, God, I need to hear you today. I need to know what you're saying to me today. I don't want to be going through the motions. I want to know that I'm hearing God. I want to know that I'm walking with God. I want to know that God is in me and is with me. And the wonderful thing about the message of the Christian faith is that we have a risen Savior who is with the Father, and we have the Holy Spirit who is with us and in us. And that is what we need to hang on to, because anything that is not of the Spirit is death. I've got um, uh, an image to put on the screen. There you go. Um, When we're in Budapest, they, they have an underground system with four lines Um, You can see the arrow at the top. That's with the station we were next to. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. Um, And then you can't quite see, but you can see the River Danube on the left. And the last station is right near the River Danube. And it's a brilliant system. That was the line we were on. There is an interchange, but I've deliberately taken that out to save adding confusion. Um, I wonder whether you have got off the train somewhere along the line before you got to the River Danube. I wonder if you've settled for being halfway down the line and you've got off because you thought that's far enough. Because there are a number of stations and the last one is at the Danube. And that's you like the river of God, the river of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to go all the way, not get off at an earlier stop. He wants us to know him and to walk with him, to be immersed in him. But if we get off at an earlier stop, we miss the point. It's a brilliant system, very fast. And if we will stay with the Lord, he will bring us to the Danube. We won't have to wait. It's there, the river, where he wants to flood us. He wants to fill us. He wants us to be fulfilled. Everywhere else, certainly this time of year, is the dry, dusty, hot city. The River Daniel is where the refreshing is. And we need to make sure that we don't hang on to any of that dry, dusty religion in our lives, but actually make sure that we are living right by the river, right by the Danube. uh, We used to have a a tree at the end of our garden, a weeping willow, 
because there was a brook, so-called brook, at the end of our garden. It wasn't our tree, um, but reaping willows tend to appear by water because they need a lot of water. And if our spiritual lives are to flourish, we need a lot of the Holy Spirit. We need to be parked right next to the river, right next to where God is, where he's flooding us. So I just want to leave with you uh, Paul's message to the Galatians in 5, Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Thank you.